if you just stretch and don't do anything else, your body's going to slowly throughout the day go back to its original position that was causing you pain. So whether it was your hamstrings and you go and sit down for two hours, you've lost all of that work. The Strive for More podcast will resonate with those that strive for more in any aspect of their lives. Follow along on one man's journey on the path to a meaningful life through long-form interviews with everyone from successful entrepreneurs, artists, physicians, leading scientists, social media influencers, and professional athletes. This episode of the Strive for More podcast is brought to you by the Strive Accelerator, which is a weekly mastermind group for entrepreneurs. So if you're not seeing the success you want, or you're searching for a community of like-minded business owners, then send an email to jared at striveaccelerator.ca to book a call and learn more. Our next guest is a certified strength and conditioning specialist who's worked with everyone from professional athletes to kids starting their journey in junior high. He spent the last seven years with Exos as a performance specialist where he currently works for the children's Health Andrews Institute Sports Performance as a performance lead for the facility. He is passionate about the Return to Sports program, where he and their rehab staff work together on ACL reconstruction and the Return to Sports process. Please welcome to the show, Jacob Rivera. Well, Jacob, thank you so much for joining us today, and we're just going to get right into it. Sweet. Thanks for having me, man. On your personal training journey, did you ever find that there was a moment where you felt like, man, I have just made it as a trainer? You know, it's, it's a funny question because I think probably, (laughs) probably with my field, but I don't even know if I could say that it was, you know, that it's not true about any field. Um, I feel like, especially as it relates to the human body, um, you know, strength and conditioning is such a such a young field in the way that we've really only been doing strength and conditioning since, you know, uh, World War One. you know, before that, it was, you know, just some pictures on a wall somewhere or a picture in a book. Uh, so it's just one of those fields where like, if you are working with the human body, it's going to be really difficult to ever get to a point where you feel like you, you master it because it's such a complex system. It's such a, um, it's such an amazing, uh, you know, work of art. So for me, it's just, it's one of those fields where there's always so much to learn and there's always so much to upgrade. Um, And it's just, I don't really think it's something that could be mastered. So the way that I view it is that the more that I learn, the more that I feel like I have no idea what I, what what I'm doing. Um, And it just, it's, it it makes you rethink things. It makes you, you know, you want to rework things. You want to redo programs. You want to reconsider how you're coaching your athletes. You want to reconsider everything all the variables that you're in charge of you want to think about you know these different things so it's you know it's it's one of those things that i don't know if i'll ever master it or ever feel like i made it um and that's that's particular to uh, i think a lot of people in this field because they they i think you know that and there's just a certain ego uh that you have to check uh in, in our field but you know i think the, the one thing that, that has changed is I, I will say that there was a time this past year uh, where I was getting some amazing results with athletes and that related to, you know, their return to sport programs or, you know, some college athletes that came in. And I think I, I can switch the made it in my field piece to more of 
wow, like I can really help people. Like I really can. I, I'm capable of it, you know, because I used to be, you know, as a young strength coach, it was, man, I just, I, I want to work with these people or this group and I'm just not sure how to do that. Um, and I just, I, I came to a point where I, I wasn't going to let a lack of confidence dictate that I couldn't help anyone. Um, I was convinced that, I, I mean, I consider myself the everyone coach. Um, I'm somebody that coaches kids, adults, pro athletes. Uh, and really to me, I, I don't have a preference. Like it's a passion for me. Um, and my mission in life, I feel like is to help people. And I haven't really defined it past that, but that's kind of how I, I, I would, I, I would say that, you know, I've not really made it in the field, but just like I said, what do you think is unique about you that allows you to help athletes more than maybe colleagues or, or generally individuals in the field? It, it starts for me just with, you know, personally, I have a, a Christian identity. That's, that's how I identify myself. Um, and so that instills in me just a very particular servile servant um, leadership based approach. So for me, I, I, I try to look at myself as a servant. I try to look at myself as uh, somebody that's meant to lay my life down for others. Um, and strength and conditioning is just how I've kind of, I kind of fell into strength and conditioning, right? Like it, it, it wasn't something that I pursued in the way that like, that was the thing that I was going to do. You know, I had this epiphany moment one day and that's just not how, that's just not how it happened. Um, and you know, my dad was a coach. Uh, so there's a part of me that I think is just innate, uh, as far as being a coach. My dad was a, you know, longtime baseball coach. He was a physical education teacher as well. Uh, so really I, I grew up in a weight room. I grew up around sports. I grew up in those situations and environments. Uh, and so I think just the performance mindset was always just kind of drilled into me. Um, and I personally just was never really a gifted athlete. You know, I was more of a, I was more of an early bloomer, uh, you know, that dominated much earlier in life. And then as soon as high school hit, it was like, oh no, everybody's getting bigger, <laughs> stronger, faster than me. Um, but I, but I find that I, I, I was somebody that had, uh, you know, I was the guy that was the scout team quarterback who would get destroyed, you know, in football practice, but it didn't matter how hard that I got hit. I got right back up. So they never knew. Um, so I feel like it, I, I'm somebody that's a really hard worker. Uh, I, 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 and I know what it means to be in those situations where, you know, you're not starting, you're not the best player, you're not the best person, but I found a way I feel like through just being a hard worker in the weight room, being a hard worker, uh, just in life to, to not really prove other people wrong, but just do so no matter what you know, was the circumstance that I was in. So I find that to be true. You know, I, I think it's innate, but I, I would also say, you know, and, and, and it's something I'm sure we'll cover, but growth mindset, right? Like I, I'm never at a point where I think that I don't think that I can get better. I'm never at a point where I think that I haven't, I don't have something to learn. Uh, I'm at a point in my career where I actually ask for feedback probably more often than most people do. I'm trying to be in a position where I'm not afraid of that. I, I ask my coworkers, I get them to look at my stuff for me. I, I, I ask them about my sessions afterwards. So 
I'm trying to be somebody that has those three things uh, at the forefront of, of what I do is a growth mindset. You know, it's innate for me, but also um, just a, serv- a servile uh, style to myself. You spoke about mindset and the growth mindset specifically, and I think that that's a great segue. How has that growth mindset been impactful for you in your career? And how do you find that that influences people's fitness journeys? I think ego is is such an important thing that needs to be mentioned because I think the more success that you have with athletes or even the more success you have in the weight room or the more success that you have just in everything that you do, whether it's career or financial, et cetera, um, it can kind of become a disease, right? It, it, it becomes something that you are just chasing um, the wrong things. You're chasing the wrong things. Um, and so I think that it, as it relates to growth mindset, like I think people talk about that a lot. I think people mention that a lot. I think people talk about being humble. Um, I've I've had a a former coworker of mine. Um, he's like my, our intern coordinator. He talks about this a lot. He goes, the being humble and talking about being humble is almost becoming a humble game, <laughs> where <it's>, everybody's <laughs> talking about who's the most humble. And he he tells a story of, you know, two friends that were trying to get into a car and one guy goes, no, 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 you get in the front. And then one guy goes, no, you get in the front. Uh, And they go back and forth for five minutes. And eventually he just walks up to the front seat and just gets in the car. And he calls, he's like, that's what happens when you're an opportunist. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so it's, so that's an important mention, right? Is that I think you've got to check your ego, but you've got to make sure that you're not just being humble just to be humble, and but that you're also taking the opportunities to look at um, all the different areas in your life that 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 can actually be true for, or is it just bullshit, right? So, um, so as it, as it relates to the 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 weight room and and in life and just even just how I approach it in my career, I think you know from a career standpoint, it's it's all about the the kids or the athletes or the people that I serve. Um, and I try to think about like what I read, what I learn, what I'm, you know, podcasting about, like all of those different things. How does it actually help me in becoming a better leader, communicator, mentor, educator, uh, or even just coach or instructor? Um, but I also think about it like what situation am I going to be in one day um, whether it's a stretch that I learn, whether it's a particular program that I learn about, whether it's a particular communication style, when might I find myself in a situation like that? So I try to get everything through that lens of how does it help the kid on the floor right there? How does it help the client on the floor right there? So whether that's you know in the field or in the different segments of our workouts, um, I try to filter things that way. But as it relates to the weight room, I think you know, it depends on who you're talking to. It depends on, you know, whether you're talking to a 10-year-old, uh, whether you're talking to a 25-year-old, a, a 50-year-old. I think the growth mindset has just got to be like when you when you walk into the weight room, you've got to understand that your job that day is to get better than yesterday. And sometimes that doesn't just necessarily mean putting more weight on the bar. Sometimes that means how can I get better so that tomorrow I have a better session? Because not every time that you come in, will you be able to break PRs? Not every time that you come in, will you be able to, um, 
dominate yourself from the previous week, you know, whether you were looking at a weight on a weight card from last week, but so that's, that's a piece of it. And I, uh, there was a metaphor from, oh, his name is Martin Rooney. He's a, he's an amazing strength coach. He's got something called training for warriors. Uh, but what he talks about is that the weight room is a lot like a dojo. Um, and as it relates to a, a place that's like a dojo, is you've got to understand there's disciplines involved. You've got to understand that life very much is going to be that way for you. And it's a place that allows you to focus on you. Like it's a place that actually like you put the work in and you get the work out of it. Uh, and that's, you know, a very simple like input output statement. But at the same time, it's like the weight room is that exact place that is just a breeding ground for uh, biology, like your input, the stimulus that you, you apply to the body is the response that you, you, you're going to get like the, the, <laughs> when you're wondering why you didn't get results, you have to wonder about the stimulus you were given your body. Um, and that's, that's just a, it's just a pure biological approach. Um, but I think, I think too, you know, even, even from a growth mindset perspective that vulnerability is important too. Because you've got to realize like when when you're trying to grow so much and the world is trying to litter you with these messages of grind set mindset of every day get better. Every day you've got to be, you know, waking up at 5 a.m. and doing all this kind of stuff. It's like, what is that all worth to you? You know, like, you know what I mean, Jared? Like, it's just like, uh, what's the what's the point? What's the purpose of all this? And uh, just every day is not meant to be a grind. It's got to have like, like, cause I, I think people, Jared, I think people, they, they are trying to fill a gap in their life sometimes with, with how they approach their growth mindset. It's I'm insecure about these areas of my life. I need to do all this to cover that up. Um, and so I think it's just important to like know where your weaknesses are, but not, just trying to be obsessive over trying to, you know, cover that by just, you know, pure effort. Um, so anyways, long answer, right? <laughs> Can you go further on that, on the vulnerability piece? Vulnerability is something that's really important to me. And I think it, it's starting to come up a lot more uh, from specifically uh, Brene Brown. She's She's got an amazing TED Talk. Um, uh, on these topics and she's got books and all this kind of stuff. But I think vulnerability is such a scary thing for people. I think it is incredibly hard for people to be able to admit their mistakes, uh, to be able to own up to things that they've done. Um, and I think vulnerability is, is, is very much a skill. Um, and, you know, uh, Jared, with, with just some of the things that I've gone through in my life, I think, even just being a strength and conditioning coach. And I can imagine that you've got, and maybe you've dealt with this. Maybe you've got colleagues that have dealt with this. Maybe you've got people that have dealt with this, but validation is an incredibly scary thing that I think social media, that I think the world is trying to give us, right? Because we have so much access to these social networks. And I think it's so easy uh, to, to look at other people's lives and wonder, wow, what are they doing? Why are they so successful? Why, like, what's going on? And so all of a sudden, you, you create this comparison approach where you're looking at all these other people's lives and you're trying to say, hey, well, why isn't my life like that? Um, and so 
this this sort of vulnerability piece is is so difficult because I think that people are often looking for validation in the wrong places. I think that they are looking for validation in their career. I think they're looking for validation as as a parent. They're looking for validation as you know, I'm the strong person and that's the way that I have to operate because if I'm not the strong person, then that means that I'm the weak person. And, and how could I ever let anybody know that about me? Um, and so vulnerability is just, it's tough, man. You've got to be able to bear all. And I think people don't often uh, put together humility and vulnerability, but I think to me, humility is very much more like vulnerability. Um you know, because I, I hate it when people say, you know, it, it's being humble when you say that, oh, I'm just the, I'm just the dumbest guy in the room. Um, and that's just that, like, it's, it's, once again, it's one of those statements where it's like, well, I just need to appear humble right now. So I'm going to say something that really doesn't make sense. Like, obviously, you're not the dumbest in the room. No, that's Everybody, me. <laughs> Everybody's got something to, to, to offer. Everybody's got insight. Everybody's got amazing things to say. Every, like, but you've got to be vulnerable enough to say, yeah, I don't have all the answers, but I've got, I've got some answers. Um, but so vulnerability is tough, man. It's a skill that you have to develop. It's, it's, it's something that does not come easy, especially in, in today's day and age. We're on this topic of mindsets, and I think that mindsets are so important in so many different aspects of life, but especially in fitness. And so can you speak to maybe some of the mindsets that you find particularly important when it comes to fitness? Yeah, I, consistency for me just is number one. Um, I don't care what training program you're on. I don't care who you're working with. I don't care whether it's a 10-year-old or a 50-year-old. Um, and as it relates to fitness and just these different things, I think consistency and, and consistency is it's one of those things that's, that's boring, right? Like it's literally boring. Like people hear that all the time, like, Oh, you need to be consistent, but it's the small things that you do day in and day out that actually accrue over time. I mean, you've probably seen that graph where it's 1% change over time uh, uh, and where that, where that kind of leads in comparison to getting 1% worse every day. Um, so consistency is huge. It's, it's an old adage. It's a, I think it's something that people underestimate greatly is, is the power of consistency. And especially, especially the younger, the athlete, the less that they understand consistency. Um, so I'd say that's number one. Number two uh, to me is going to be adaptability. Um, and very similar to what I was saying earlier is like being adaptable is, the same thing as being flexible and it's the same thing as being non-rigid, right? It's the same thing as, okay, if I can't get this today, well, I'm going to try it tomorrow. It's, wow, my hamstrings are killing me today. I need to find a way to challenge myself that isn't my like that isn't me getting, giving up. So maybe it's I crush upper body that day. Um, adaptability is, you know, uh, my knees killing me. So I'm going to do, you know, some biceps and triceps today. I think there's just, there's an adaptability that you have to have because I think people think that they can come into the weight room and just crush it every day. I think they think that they can come in and crush it week to week, month to month, year to year. And it's like, okay, you think that's the case. Well, add the stressful job, add the low sleep, add the no pre-workouts left in the container add, you know, <laughs> add all of these different things and all of a sudden you've got wow i can't do this program day in and day out 
Um, so adaptability is important. Listening to your body, making sure that you are aware of, of, of what your body is trying to tell you. So that's huge for me. Um, and then I'm going to, uh, I'm going to talk about something that was life changing for me. Uh, and, and it was a book. Um, have you ever read switch by chip and Dan Heath before Jared? Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh man. So for for your listeners, I mean, the so if you guys have not heard, it, the elephant, the rider, and the path is is what this book talks about. Um, and I can't tell you how prevalent that's been. Just noticing things or or, or having conversations with people. Um, so the elephant is your emotional brain. Uh, the rider is your rational brain, and then the path is your environment. So we've got emotional, we've got rational, and we've got the environment. Um, and understanding when the rider is the one that's trying to do the analysis. Oh, you should do three sets of 10 reps today on your bench press. That's good for you. That's going to help you build muscle. And then it's your elephant that chimes in and says, but your chest hurts. Your tricep hurts. Why would I want to do three sets of 10? Um, and then the path then becomes your environment. So maybe you bring a friend with you that says, uh, dude, just do it. And all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, I'm doing my set of 10 on bench press. Uh, so that's a, you know, that's a stupid analogy for the fact that there is so much that we wish that our emotional brain could understand from a rational standpoint, meaning that we know that salads are good for us. We know that uh, training multiple times per week is going to give us, you know, better results as it relates to fat loss, as it relates to these different things. But then it's like, oh, I have to work out at 5 a.m., and therefore, your emotional brain, the elephant, is the one that's like, oh, my God, I can't imagine working out right now, so I'm just going to snooze. And all of a sudden, your workout hour disappears. Um, so if, you, if, if y'all haven't read it, The Elephant, The Rider, and The Path comes from an amazing book called Switch by Chip and Dan Heath. And um, that was just pretty life-changing for me when I realized how important those three variables are and how they can relate to our behaviors and behavior change. So... Um, that's that, that, that one was a huge one for me. Um, and I think ultimately that, that, that relates to your vision. Um, are, are, do you know what your vision is and are you able to define it? Um, and is it something that is outlandish or is it something that is realistic if you really do put in the work? Um, and then just knowing the small steps it takes to get to where you want to go. Um, there's a reason why we write, you know, four to eight week programs for people is because each one of those weeks within a program has a small step forward and each program has a small step forward from the last. Uh, and it's how those things accrue over time that I think really gives you that fruition um, into your vision of like, hey, I want to run a marathon or uh, whatever it may be for that individual. So uh, those those to me are just three principles, you know, including the elephant, the rider and path that that for me are just, those are the mental components that you've got to play the game with. Do you have any recommendations on how we short circuit or how we override that elephant? Because I think we've all been there where it's 5.30, the alarm goes off, you're supposed to go to the gym and you get up and turn off the alarm. Any tips for how we can get better at that? What what I would recommend is you've you've got to make sure that like if 5 a.m. truly is the only time that you can work out, um, you've got to like cue the environment to, to give you that opportunity to not want to say no 
Like you've got to put your phone in, maybe you put it in the kitchen where the alarm is is going off and you don't get that opportunity to hit snooze. So you've got to actually get on your feet to go hit the alarm. And then it's all of a sudden at that point, you see your gym bag sitting there with your brand new running shoes that you bought. Um, and so the brand new running shoes, you know, in the bag has your pre, you know, your pre-workout in it and maybe has your post-workout in it where everything's been set up for you ahead of time. Uh, so you're, you're creating a, a situation, you're manipulating the environment where it actually provides you the cues um, that you need to actually do the thing you want to do and trying to remove as many barriers as you can. So whether it be, whether it be that example or whether it be, man, I'm going to schedule a workout with a friend and I'm specifically going to schedule a workout with a friend that, that knows more than me. Uh, who knows how they can maybe adapt their own workout for myself. Um, I do this personally with a, a friend of mine. He, I, so I've been running a lot more um, and I try to as often as I can, I try to run with him because not only is he a faster runner than me, but he's a better runner than me. And he's probably, you know, on top of that, a smarter runner than me. And so there's just <laughs> something about where I can run behind him and I can watch his running form. There's something wow. about scheduling it with him that really motivates me because I'm like, man, I've got to be on my A game this week because we're running on Saturday. So I'm better, you know, maybe I have, you know, one drink instead of two drinks on Friday because I've got to get up early. And so there's, there's, there's just this psychological trick of working out with people in a way that there's even just a little bit of fear behind it, right? Where um, you're trying to make sure that you get the right sleep the night before. You're trying to make sure that you're primed to work out with that person because maybe you, you know, you back to the validation piece, maybe you care about them calling you fat and lazy. Um, but I think, <laughs> but I think it's just, it's one of those things where you cue the environment. Um, I think the only other thing I could think of is do the exercises and the workouts that you enjoy. Don't do the workouts and the exercises that you don't enjoy. The ones that, you know, remind you of a, 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 a college conditioning program that you threw up a hundred times. Like, don't start with those types of things. Start light, start easy, start with the simple things. I think the biggest mistake people make in fitness is that they think that they have to get in shape to go on a program, but they have no understanding that it's the program that actually gets you to where you want to be. There's no program to getting on the program. <laughs> <laughs> like you just got to be able to uh, be honest with yourself about that. So, I mean, those are, those are the, my go-to tricks. Those are definitely the way that I, uh, I approach those things. And of course I'm not perfect about those at all. Uh, but that's, I mean, I, I would tell anybody that. You mentioned a fitness vision or a vision in general. How does that apply to fitness? And is that something that we can kind of do ourselves? The way, the way that I view vision it's very similar that in, in the way that I view vision in business or vision, you know, financially vision for, you know, your program for that week, um, your, your life, like just in general, right? Like for me, vision is not just a guiding force, but it's also a, it's a deep dive into what's the purpose behind what you're doing. So for example, let's, let's talk about me, uh, running more, um, there's a particular moment in time uh, in college where I ran just, <laughs> I ran my ass off on a half marathon um, and just posted the best time that I think I could possibly ever post. Um, and one thing that I'm interested in doing is I'm seeing that 
I'm seeing if I can, in a sequential way, get back to running, start getting into it more, um, because it's ultimately something that I really, really enjoy. I love just being able to put my headphones in, walk out the door and go. I don't have to go into a gym. I don't have to do these different things. So my vision is how can I, you know, 10 years later or whatever it was, um, 10 years later, do what I did in college and, and, and take advantage of, you know, take advantage of the fact that it's like, I know so much more about training now than I did back then. Uh, but really, really being able to run that fast and that far for me is just freedom. It, it, it truly mm-hmm. is freedom. It's the, it's how can I take my body and push my body to the limits? Um, and, and feel this just epic freedom that comes with it when you cross that finish line. And I think that's something that I don't really get to have in the weight room. It's not something that I get to, uh, to really do, you know, with, cause, cause of course I care how I look, Jared, but <laughs> it's, it's not something that like, when I look in the mirror, it automatically motivates me to either keep going or stop. Right. It, to me, it doesn't really matter, but there's just something about that picture that I took, you know, with my fingers against the scoreboard. It's just that freedom, that 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 excitement, that that top of the mountain peak uh, type feeling. And I, I and I remember it, and I, I want to chase that. And it's to me, it's worthy of chasing um, because it's just something that I really enjoy. So when it, if, for vision, it I think vision really helps you to lay out some principles. And that vision, when you lay out those principles, I think helps to influence behaviors. And I think those behaviors help us to influence our habits and what we're actually doing on a daily basis. So I think, you know, to continue with the running example, I think if my vision is to be able to run, you know, a 140 half marathon again, that's got to have some principles behind it. Well, I've got to make sure that I'm working on my hamstring calf and foot strength. I, I, I can't just go run and not focus on those things. And that's kind of the main principle is lower shin health, lower, lower, you know, um, shin complex, ankle complex health. So am I doing jump rope? Am I working on my calves? Am I stretching my hamstrings? Am I doing those things? And then there's the other part of, okay, you now need to be on a progressive program. And there's a million running programs out there that are, you know, 12 weeks to half marathon, 24 weeks to marathon. I think all of those are great. I think everybody's got to find something that actually holds them accountable. Uh, And I think that's where the friends come in, but you've got to have a plan and it doesn't mean it's a smart plan. It just means it's a plan. It's not, it's not willy nilly. It's not just flying off the handle. It's you've, you've got a plan. Um, And then you've, you know, you've got to have the right shoes. You've got to have the right, uh, uh, you know, shorts or like whatever it is that you have and so I think all of those little tiny goals are really important because then they kind of influence your behaviors and habits where it's like, okay, now I need to make sure I get a, you know, snack 30 minutes in before I run. Um, I've got to make sure that, you know, I'm finding an opportunity throughout the day to foam roll and make sure that my body is being taken care of. Um, I've got to make sure that I, you know, get a good night's sleep because when I get up in the morning, I know that if I'm super tired, it's going to be a lot harder to run. Um, so for me, I think just, it's the vision, it, it's the principles, it's the behaviors, it's the habits and how they, those all feed into each other. But it wouldn't happen that way, Jared, if, if I didn't have an emotional attachment to that vision, you know, and I think people, people assume that people assume that, oh, 
I, I just want to be able to play with my kids. And I'm like, yeah, like that's an awesome goal. And I, I get that. But like, you've got to find something that's you are emotionally attached to because it's that emotion with that rationale uh, that can really help you down that path. You mentioned that, you know, what's driving you now specific to running was that college experience of running the 140. What do you think you're doing differently now with all of the knowledge you've gained over that period versus what you were doing 10 years ago? Well, I think when you're, you know, 21 years old or whatever I was, um, you're, you're at such a, you're at such a point where a, you can eat whatever you want. B, you can literally go on any training program and get results. Um, and, uh, like you can go on a run and it's like, man, I, I did 10 more seconds per mile than last week. And, and for me now I have to really chase that and I have to really be hard about that. Um, so I, I would say what's different now is that I understand the impact of mobility and stability and those different things and, and joint health a lot more. Um, I understand the stress of running a lot more and how you have to really scale and modify and, um, and kind of have some ups and downs throughout your week with, with how you do running. Um, I would just kind of like add mileage here and do this here and, uh, I think I just wasn't being smart about it. And I was just relying on just this innate youth, you know, <laughs> of just being able to just get out there and run. Um, and I would also say I understand really the importance of strength training and what type of strength training I should be doing, you know, emphasizing more single leg training now uh, than I probably ever have. Um, not just doing, you know, back squats, bench and deadlifts all the time, but actually doing some true functional training on one leg single leg squats, lunges, plyometric drills, hopping drills, things that actually transfer and really uh, improve your running, whether it's economy, whether it's efficiency, whether it's um, technique, like really working on those things and, and, and trying to make those things better um, just in general. Jacob, when you talk about joint health, I think those of us that grew up lifting weights and, and spending time in the gym or, or being around athletics in some form, we really thought of stretching as some passing activity that we just had to get through. And so when you're speaking about joint health, can you get a little bit more granular on some of those things that we should be incorporating into our day to day? Yeah. And, and this is one of those things where I, this is what I educate everybody on. And, uh, it's, it's funny just how not common knowledge this is and, and just how, almost how outlandish everything is, right? Because the problem with the, fit, <laughs> the fitness world, right, is that we've rested upon just all of these different myths that have just accrued over time that actually don't have any scientific evidence behind it or really any pure, true rationale behind it. So, you know, let, let's even talk about the difference between static versus dynamic stretching. I think everybody, like before they run, they like go over to a bench, put their leg up to stretch their hamstrings, and then they grab their quads a few times each side to fit their quads, <laughs> and then they run. And, and that's and, and, me. And then, <laughs> Jared, you need to realize it's a new age, my friend. Um, no, but it, it's it's one of those things where that is a majority of the people that are active. That's like those are the people that are doing these different things, and I think. So what you've got to realize is dynamic stretching is a lot better, but I mean, we'll get to that in a second, but, um, 
I think so. You've got to take into consideration that movement quality is the most important thing that matters to everybody. And, and the way that you would describe or the way that you would define movement quality is movement quality is not only the ability to do a task, but it's also the ability to be able to move how you want and move with um, uh, move effortlessly. I would say move with uh, fluidity. I would say move with care, move with intent. Um, but also that you have the appropriate range of motion, the appropriate stability, the appropriate mobility at each of your joints. And I think just to clarify on the difference between flexibility, range of motion, and stability, just, just for the listeners, mobility is the ability to move through a particular range of motion. Range of motion is how far or how deep can your joint go into the range of motion that it was designed for. So what we mean by that, like, let's think of the shoulder, for example. The shoulder is meant to raise overhead into an 180 degree angle. So you should be able to raise your arm overhead. You should be able to touch your toes with your legs being straight. Um, you should be able to squat below parallel. You should be able, in, in, below parallel meaning that the thighs are below parallel with the floor. Um, you can push your knee into the wall in like a one knee down half kneeling position and keep your heel down, meaning that you can push your knee well over your toe without your back heel coming up. So these are like those, these are almost what we would call bookmarks, right? So movement quality isn't just your ability to do it, but you're, you've also got to consider stability. So stability would be that you have control, you have strength, you have timing, you have uh, rigidity in the joints that you need to have those in. Um, and the body is a pretty intricate system of, of both mobility and stability. But um, so that's kind of the first and foremost thing is that in order to avoid injury or in order to um, make sure that you're healthy, you've got to make sure that you're assessing your own movement quality. And you've got to make sure that your joints uh, from the ankle up to your neck are moving the way they should or doing their job that they're supposed to do. Um, and I think even some other important questions come up about how to maintain, you know, health of your joints and these different things. And it's also, are you progressively overloading your tissue? So are you trying to run 10 miles when you should be running five miles? Are you trying to squat 225 when you should be, you know, squatting 135 because of your form? So it's, are you progressively overloading or are you maybe even underloading what your tissue should be able to do? So um, that's really important. Um, but also, are you considering optimal range of motion at all of your joints? Do you know where you have those limitations? Uh, because that's really important. If I'm going to go over to the pull-up bar and I'm going to be working on pull-ups and I just start cranking out pull-ups, but I can't raise my arm over my head because I have tight lats. Um, uh, and if I have tight lats, what that kind of indicates is that I've got to do some work there in order for me to have a good pull-up. Otherwise, then I'm going to actually have a lot of compensation in my body. And that's how you get hurt over time. The way you get hurt over time is that you have these, um, uh, somebody, a mentor I follow, he calls these non-trivial events. And these non-trivial events are things that you would miss that you wouldn't even realize. But it's the same thing as taking a knife to a rope, is that you do something slightly wrong over time, 
over and over and over and over. And it's like taking a knife to a rope in the way that, you know, your body is creating, is getting damaged over time because your body is compensating in areas that that joint should be doing its job. Um, so that's an important piece. Uh, you know, if you're a runner, do you have the proper running form? Um, there is such a thing as bad running and there is such a thing as good running, but that that's the same for any activity that you're doing. You know, whether you're a mountain climber, whether you're a biker, you know, do you know how your bike should be set up to sit in? Um, you know, so these are the, these are those questions you have to, to ask yourself, Jared. And I, I, I wish I had better answers, but the, the, the reality is not only is it complicated, but you've got to be able to go down these different, um, these different rabbit holes to, to, to understand it completely. What are some things that we can all do to get better in our range of motion, in our stability, in our joint health generally? So I think people think that the best way to improve range of motion is always doing static stretching. Um, but I think one of the simplest things that I always recommend to people is actually yoga. Uh, and the reason I like yoga so much is because it doesn't just involve static stretching, but it involves, you know, three different important characteristics of, yes, there's flexibility, but there's also breathing. There's also a focus on joint range of motion, but also there's adjustments going on uh, in, in those positions. But then also that you are going through multiple postures. You're, you're working on so many different areas in the body where really muscles aren't really considered, but postures and positions are considered. So really at the end of a, a yoga session, what you've done is you've addressed so much and you've addressed so many different areas that you don't actually feel like you just sat there and stretched, you know, put your leg on the wall or, you know, did kind of a hamstring stretch while you're sitting down. And I think to me, like yoga was a place where um, it was hard for me. Jared. Like it's yoga is really <laughs> hard. Uh, it like it challenges me because I'm 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 somebody that cares a lot about movement quality, of course. But that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm just super flexible. Um, and so it challenges me, especially as it relates to like posterior chain, which is like hamstrings, calves, uh, low back, um, you know, like posterior shoulder. So like it's challenging, but I think it's one of those things where if you hate stretching, it doesn't really feel like stretching cause it feels kind of like a workout. So for me, yoga is, is huge. Um, and I think, you know, I, I was thinking about this today and I wish I'd come up with the idea but there's a guy, uh, his name is Kelly Starrett, um, and that's Starrett. Um, I, I'm hoping I'm saying it right, Starrett. Um, and he created something on YouTube called Mobility Wad. Now, mobility is just like it sounds, and then Wad is just like it sounds from CrossFit, like it's workout of the day, but it's mobility workout of the day. Um, and what he did for, so before it was a paid service, cause it's like a, you know, subscription kind of service thing now, um, before, before he actually became that big for a year, he posted, he said 365 videos, I believe he may have, you know, plus or minus 10. Uh, but what he did was he created a mobility workout of the day where, let's say that he was focused on calf or maybe he was focused on glutes or maybe he was focused on squat form or something like that. 
Um, and he would post a five to 10 minute workout that you were supposed to do. He'd say, Hey, grab a band, grab a, you know, grab a band and a ball, grab a, you know, a couple textbooks to put your foot on, like whatever it was. And he would walk you through this sort of, um, short little routine that you could do. Um, and that's something that I've always been thinking about as far as how do I communicate to people, how they can better take care of themselves and I think about it in that mobility wad way where there's so much information out there and, and, and hell, you can look that guy up on, on YouTube. Um, but I try to think about it that way where it's 10 to 15 minutes um, focused on a particular area. And, you know, what we do at, uh, at my work a lot is we'll focus on trigger pointing an area. So that's just taking a tennis ball, that's taking a lacrosse ball, that's taking a baseball and that's using that as a as a massage tool. So whether it's the bottom of your foot that are that that's achy, whether it's your calves that are achy, you put that ball in that area. You sit on it. You you roll on it. You lay on it. And you can kind of adjust the pressure as you need to, but using it in small circles, right? So kind of going above and below an area of pain is is awesome. Is an awesome way to relieve some trigger points in your body. And a trigger point is. Basically, if you were poking your muscles, the moment that you like, <laughs> the moment that you kind of jump because it's in pain, that's what we mean by trigger point. So if you're taking that ball kind of above and below that area, um, that's a great way to start with um, some daily care. Um, and it doesn't really matter where it is. It doesn't matter whether it's your neck. It doesn't matter whether it's your foam, uh, um, uh, your your forearm. It doesn't matter whether it's your triceps. Like taking your body and using a ball like that is a really good starting point. Um, and then if you don't know how to stretch that area, just look up how to stretch that area. Um, you know, the <laughs> stretching, stretching an area is not a huge, um, uh, shouldn't be a huge confusion point, but then also, but then also following that up with things like planks, things like side planks, things like glute bridges, because one of the things that's really important about mobility is it takes typically about three to five minutes to make significant change in an area. So whether that means that you're foam rolling it or trigger pointing it, or also that you're doing mobility work on that area. Um, but you have to follow it up with some sort of stability-based exercise. So whether it's a, a push-up hold, whether it's a plank hold, side plank, glute bridge, those are really important in order to press save on the document, as we say. So when we say save on the document, we're saying if you just stretch and don't do anything else, your body's going to slowly throughout the day go back to its original position that was causing you pain. So whether it was your hamstrings and you go and sit down for two hours, you've lost all of that work. Um, there's a great book out there that's called um, Standing to a Sitting World. Uh, it's called Deskbound by the same guy, Kelly Sturette. And he talks about how every 60 minutes we need to we need to – we owe ourselves – 15 minutes of movement. Uh, so whether that be going up and down the stairs, whether that's going for a walk, whether that's doing some stretches, some foam rolling, some yoga, um, 15 minutes every 60 minutes is incredibly important. Um, and the longer that you sit, the longer in, like in the day. So if you're sitting for two, three, four hours in a day and you haven't gotten up, that's a serious problem. That's a serious problem for your back. That's a serious problem for your hips. That's a serious problem for your neck, your shoulders, everything that is forming to the position that, that you're sitting in. 
um, because that can really counteract mobility work. And that's why, that's why capturing your range of motion and, and getting better at those things is so hard because we live in a sitting world. We sit at our desks when we're doing emails. We sit at a, you know sit in a chair while we're doing meetings. We uh, don't take the stairs. We take the elevator. We sit in a car on the way there. We sit down to eat. Like there's so much more sitting than there is standing, um, and it's really a nightmare for our body. It's a light a nightmare for our health. Um, I've even I've, I've even seen it this way where uh, sitting is now kind of like the new smoking. So like if you consistently sit for six to eight hours a day. Like you can increase your risk of death by, you know, don't quote me on this, a certain percentage. Um, and, and that's scary because our body was designed to move. It was not designed to, to um, just sit all day. So <laughs> uh, once again, long answer. Here we go, Jared. <laughs> you produce so much awesome information out of that. So I'm grateful that you, you went into that depth. I, I wonder, you brought up that folks will have the knowledge for how to stretch. But I'm wondering, do you think people know where they're weak in? For example, somebody has a bad back. But from my experience, it seems like bad backs can be caused by just a number of different factors. And so how does someone go about determining where their weaknesses are in range of motion, instability, or things of that nature? Well, and, and what's interesting too is that there's a lot of debate even in the strength and conditioning world on assessments and evaluations for people. Um, one of the things that we use very regularly with athletes and really regularly with clients is what's called the functional movement screen. Um, and there's a kit you have to buy with it, but ultimately I think the principles in and of themselves don't need the kit. So I'm just going to kind of uh, uh, throw that name out there again. It's called the functional movement screen. And really what this screen is after is that it's looking at all of our fundamental movement patterns. So a fundamental movement pattern is something that we typically do throughout our day that we don't even pay attention to that's important to live our lives. So whether it's picking up a box off the ground, our body is going to embody a particular posture and a particular pattern. Um, patterns just in reference to how do all of our joints work together to do that task? So when we pick it up, uh, a box off the ground, that's going to be more of a deadlift pattern, right? You're going to deadlift very similarly that you do when you pick up a box. That's called a hinge pattern. So there's going to be elements within that screen that are going to look at hinge patterns. And if you are limited in that particular range of motion, that's going to be particularly problematic for you, not only in the weight room, but also when you're trying to do other athletic activities. Um, you, you heard me mention the deep squat. So what the FMS will do is they'll have you kind of put a bar overhead, just a dowel. A, it could be a broom. It could be a, you know, it could be anything. Uh, and you keep that dowel overhead, just like you're going to do an overhead squat. And you squat down as deep as you can. Um, and you pay attention to, okay, am I able to get my thighs to parallel with the ground? Am I able to keep my heels on the ground as I go into a deep squat? Can I keep that bar, that dowel over my head, or does it fall kind of forward in front of my face as I go down? Um, so there's those pieces. And uh, the way that I sort of look at it is that, so it's fundamental movement patterns. So we've got squatting, we've got stepping, we've got lunging, we've got planking, we've got um, a crawl variation, and then we've also got things like shoulder mobility. 
Um, and so this screening test uh, uh, gives you insight and, and scores you one to three on all of these different movement patterns. Um, and that overall score kind of gives you an idea of, are you below the correct standards for what your body should be able to do? Do you meet the acceptable standards, meaning that you are safe to weight lift, you're safe to do these activities, and you know that you're not going to hurt yourself? And then you've got kind of the third category, which is, oh, wow, you're perfect on everything. Um, <laughs> so so there, it, there's so much information out there on the functional movement screen. Um, but even just looking that up and just kind of getting an idea, you know, for those that are really interested in, wow, how can I take my fitness to the next level? Well, part of it's going to be addressing those things. Um, but also, uh, Jared, you heard me talk earlier about some other things that I think are really simple that maybe aren't as complicated as the FMS. So I, I said earlier about going into a what we'd call a half kneeling position. That just means one knee down. So one foot is, you know, at 90 degrees, the other knee is bent, you're kneeling, but one knee is forward. And so your goal is how far away from the wall can I get while keeping my heel down and how far can I push my knee into the wall uh, and, and still touch the wall? So each time that I, I can, I'm going to move my foot back and I'm going to see if I can touch the wall again. So that's called an ankle to wall stretch. And that the better that you can do is the further away from the wall that you can be. Um, you heard me mention raise your arms overhead without your spine moving. So can you reach your arms overhead without your back significantly arching? Um, so that would kind of give you insight into your shoulder mobility. Can you correctly put your arm overhead or is it really difficult? Maybe it's painful. Um, can you deep squat below parallel? So you don't even need that overhead dowel to do it, but can you go to a deep squat with your, your feet and your heels remaining on the ground? Um, can you touch your hands together behind your back? So this is a really good one too, if you're interested in how well your shoulders move. So one knee go or the well, one shoulder or one hand goes under your back and below your back, and then the other arm or shoulder goes above your head and, or behind your head. So you're trying to touch your fists together uh, behind your back. And the distance between your hands is a good indicator of how well your shoulders move. Um, and then another really good one, like I, like I said earlier, is can you touch your toes? Can you reach up to the sky? Can you touch your toes, keeping your legs straight? So those are like some really easy, simple tests that you can do that really give you a lot of information. And if one of those areas was particularly painful or you notice that there is a significant deficit on one side or the other side, then it's like, wow, I need some work. <laughs> and how would we go about working on those things? Is that something that's simple to kind of solve? It's, it, it's simple if you're embodying some of those principles we've spoken about where okay, if I notice that one area is significantly different, because that's right, like asymmetries are really important to understand. So like, let's say that everything sucks, right? That's, that's one way that you could look at this is if everything sucks, you probably need a lot of stretching. But if you go through <laughs> some of these tests and you notice that right to left, one side is way more painful, way more tight, way more whatever, maybe it was a previous surgery that you had. Um, I would kind of look at it from the from the MWOD position, so the mobility wad way of every hour that I sit, five to 15 minutes, can I work on that area using that trigger point ball, using a foam roller into that area and stretching it also throughout my day? So like to your point, is it easy? No. The the From a behavior standpoint, it's incredibly hard unless, once again, 
you have a really strong vision and you have a really strong emotional attachment to why that matters to you and why movement quality really matters to you. But I would say that, you know, uh, let's, let me think of an example for you. Like, so if I have somebody that can't touch their toes, Jared, one of the things that I give them is I ask them to, I ask them to put a towel between their knees every morning and I have them step on some type of like textbook. So their toes are up and I have them go and touch their toes. And at the sticky points where let's say, you know, maybe you can only get your hands to your mid shin. Um, if you can only get your hands to your mid shin, squeeze that towel that's between your knees and use a big exhale and see how far down or farther down that you can go. And your toes right now are, are, are being elevated by a textbook or a, uh, it could be a, um, another rolled up towel or blanket. And that elevation of your toes while touching your toes is going to help lengthen the posterior chain, the hamstrings, the calves. And by utilizing that squeeze the towel between your knees while you're reaching down to touch your toes, that's going to help give you an awareness of your body needs to relax. So anytime that you squeeze something like that, it's it's what we call a PNF strategy. So like when you squeeze, contract, and then relax, your body kind of loses its um, sensitivity to the area and it begins to relax a lot easier. Um, and that can be done, like I've seen people who can't touch their toes and then can begin touching their toes in as little as a week or two. Um, now, if it's something that's been, you know, has a heavy surgical history, has a heavy um, you know, uh, arthri arthritic history or something like that, it's going to take a lot longer. But I think people can get a lot of significant results in just as little as two to four weeks, and they might not realize that. But that's, that, I mean, that's definitely um, something that's hard to do, but easy to gain. You've brought up breathing. How does that relate to strength training? So this is, a, <laughs> this is actually like one of my favorite things to talk about. Um, <laughs> so... So we're going to go for another hour here, Jared. Um, <laughs> I love it. No, no. But um, so breathing, breathing is, is, is so crucial. It's, you know, I've heard it said it's called the conductor of life, right? So breathing is really important because it's so closely related to the movement patterns of the rest of our body. So what I mean by that is that we breathe about 20,000 breaths per day. Um, and the fact that we breathe 20,000 times a day, think about that is, you know, double the amount of steps that we take every day. That's, um, you know, it, it's just one of those things that it, it, we can't really get a grasp on how often that we actually are breathing. It's something that we don't even think about. It's something that we don't even focus on. But tied into every breath is a very complicated movement system in our body. And there is... Two kind of, not schools of thought, because I, I want to say that it's it's fact, it's not thought, but there's two schools of thought as it relates to breathing is there's 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 a, a very chest, shoulder, neck, rib type breathing, and then there is diaphragmatic breathing. And when you are breathing incorrectly, um, one of the things that people don't realize that it can do is that it can create a lot of tone in the in areas that you don't want there to be tone. So what we mean by tone is we're saying there's there's areas on the body that when used incorrectly can create a lot of overuse. So let's like one of the 
easiest way to think about it is like your trap muscles. So your trap muscles are right above your shoulder, right behind your neck. And I'm sure all of us, after a long day looking at the computer, have been pretty sore in our neck. Well, one of our, like our traps can be heavily involved in our breathing if we're not careful. And when a muscle is being used over and over and over, it begins to, to, to grow in size. It begins to grow in tension. It begins to grow in uh, sensitivity. Um, and so when we aren't paying attention to how we breathe, we can really be creating all of these compensation strategies that just aren't healthy. And versus when you know how to diaphragmatic breathe, diaphragmatic breathing is so important because it actually uses your diaphragm, which is a muscle. It's a muscle that's meant to be used. But every time that we breathe incorrectly and we really rise those, uh, uh, poke the ribs out, we, we pull our chest up, we use our neck muscles, uh, we can really compress the diaphragm and its ability to deliver oxygen to the rest of our body. Um, and if you don't know how to breathe, you won't learn how to create tension. That's a big important point because the way that you breathe is also closely related to how you create tension. So think about tension as the important strategy of if I'm going to go over to a deadlift and I'm going to try to pick up 400 pounds, I better know how to create tension not only against the bar, but I better know how to create tension in my lower abdomen and my core in order to protect my spine. Um, and so that's the tricky part about that is that if you aren't focused on breathing, you aren't going to be focused on a correct strategy as it relates to weightlifting, but really as it relates to anything. And so, uh, I, I can imagine that it's like, okay, well, how do I know? How do I know um, whether I'm I'm one of those breathers? And one of the easiest ways to do that is just lay yourself down on the ground and put one hand on your belly button and one hand on your chest, and and all you do is take ten big deep breaths, and you see which area is is, is pressing itself up towards the ceiling more. So if you take a, a big deep breath, is it your chest going up and down? Is it your shoulder muscles that you feel contracting or is it your belly that you see rising so that's one of the easiest drills to kind of work on that and get better at that is i, I lay people down i have them do that i have them uh, one hand on the belly one hand on the chest and i just say push your belly into your lower hand so your hand that's on top of your belly button and i have them focus on just that feeling um there's there's a cue that i use that's like it's like you're imagining like you have a um, a tire over your body or a hula hoop or something like that. And you imagine like you're trying to breathe in all different directions. So it doesn't, it's not just like your belly and your belly button. It's also like the side of your stomach and your, the, uh, the side of your body. And even like in your low back area, you should be able to expand that air into all different directions. Um, and, and when you know how to control that really well, you'll know not only how to reduce your heart rate when you need to but you'll also learn how to create a lot of tension in in, in like we 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 call like your spine in that area kind of like a canister it's kind of like you're trying to create pressure and and, and and power and stability and force into that canister so that your spine remains safe while you're doing the things that you're doing um so that's just a really, uh, I hope that was a simple explanation. <laughs> um, I, that's just, that's how I think about breathing. Is there anything else you want to say on that topic of breathing? Just that if you don't know how, learn. And if you, if you want to know more, um, there's a really great book out there called The Oxygen Advantage. 
And it goes even farther into the importance of nasal breathing. So nasal breathing is also a really important topic that I'll just touch on briefly. Um, so once again, that book is The Oxygen Advantage. Um, I think it's by uh, a guy named Patrick McCown, but um, I'm forgetting the author's name right now. But uh, nasal breathing is so important because it allows us to deliver better oxygen because of the way that our oxygen and CO2 system work. So people often think that CO2 is something that you want to get rid of. But the reality is that CO2 buildup in your body is an important thing. Like you actually want to build your tolerance to CO2. So that's kind of the scariest part about nasal breathing. I mean, you could probably even do it right now, Jared. And what you'll find is that you start to kind of panic a little bit. Your body starts to feel short of breath. Um, mm -hmm. But what that is, is that's, that's your body resisting the amount of CO2 that's in your body. And it's trying to expel that. But what often people don't realize is that you need CO2 in your body in order for you to deliver oxygen better. So our body actually prefers to have some CO2 in excess in comparison to the amount of oxygen that we have. Um, and the problem with like in a situation like where you're hyperventilating, when you're hyperventilating, you're actually offloading more CO2 than you're inhaling oxygen. And so that things actually continue to get worse. Um, so nasal breathing is really important. The Oxygen Advantage book has all of these awesome drills that, that you can do to improve your, your oxygen capacity in these different things. It's a, like I said, it's a huge rabbit hole, but it's a really awesome way to improve performance without actually, I mean, strength training or any, really anything like you're just improving your body's ability to deliver oxygen, which is just, <laughs> it's freaking cool. <laughs> I love your passion. And as you've been explaining these things, I have been following along. I've been raising my arms above my head. I've been breathing in through my nose. So yeah, you've, you've got me hooked. And, <laughs> and I'm also going to link to all of those, the individuals, the books, the resources that you've brought up, they'll all be in the description as well. So folks don't feel like you've got to have been taking notes. Those will be there for you. I want to circle back to the injuries and, and how to avoid them. Is there a broad kind of strategy that you can recommend for folks out there that are trying to avoid injury? Well, so, you know, uh, the, the first thing to consider is just that movement quality piece that we've already spoken about is, you know, how well do you move throughout your body? Can you go through these basic movement patterns? If not, we need to understand what are those, those limiting factors. Um, you know, and I said this earlier that uh, we are what we repeatedly do in small moments. And I think a lot of times when we're exercising or doing strength training or doing these different things, we don't realize just what we're perpetuating. And if we don't realize what we're actually doing to ourselves, unless we're taking that careful eye uh, into these different areas. Um, but the thing about injuries too is, is, you know, avoiding them is important. And so is kind of how to deal with them. Uh, but ultimately, I think they go back to these two different things because when, you, when you're able to look at your movement quality, it's going to give you insight. But then it's also, okay, how do I know how to deal with the difference between an acute injury and a chronic injury? So acute, acute injury, I mean, that's, that's very obvious. I got in a car accident. You know, I twisted my ankle off the curb. 
But then there's also chronic issues, right? There's things like tendonitis, low back pain, knee pain, shoulder pain that never goes away. Um, and these different things are really important because oftentimes, um, uh, particularly in sport, right? The, the, the biggest problem right now, Jared, is that we have so many kids that are early specializing in sport mm-hmm. and they're not doing what we did when we were young, which was, you know, go to PE, playing everything, going to the monkey bars, you know, falling on our back and climbing trees and these different things. It's like these kids don't do this anymore. But the same idea could be said about adults in that we're in a sitting world now. So we've kind of got that dichotomy of, of uh, both the issues that athletes are dealing with because they don't have the normal childhood that I think we all expect them to have because they're playing just one sport and they're not playing four sports anymore because everything is about everything's about clubs, everything's about how can I get my kid ahead? How can I, um, you know, how can I early specialize and late generalize? Like that's, that's a whole pro that's a whole thing in and of itself. But, and then we've got the adults that are sitting so often. So I think we just have to face the fact that we need to understand at what point are we in a sedentary lifestyle and not in an active lifestyle? Because I think people underestimate movement throughout your day. I think people underestimate 10,000 steps in a day. Um, I think people underestimate that five to 15 minutes every hour, like standing up, doing some stretches, doing some different things, keeping a lacrosse ball or a foam roller uh, at their desk or at their home, um, going for a walk. Like I think people underestimate these basic things, but it's like they actually accrue over time in a way that people don't realize. Um, so I think like the biggest thing plague in our world is that the the injury side of things is we've got people that don't understand fitness. We've got people that are the most sedentary that they've ever been. And it's just one of those things where we, we, we don't consistently work on flexibility or strength or power or stability or force expression. And I think there's, there's one element of this that's teaching people, Jared, and then there's, Hey, like go to your trainer, like go have somebody deal with it for you because there's a reason why we're professionals. Our job isn't to empower everybody to do it completely on their own. (laughs) Our job is, you know, empower you while you're away um, and, uh, you know, come back to us and we'll help you. Like, this is our passion. This is our life. This is what we love doing. Um, So, man, I, you know, I don't know if there's anything else I would say other than, um, you know, be on a consistent training program. If you don't know how to build a, tra- a training program, ask for help. Reach out to somebody. Email somebody. Email me. I don't care. <laughs> um, <laughs> but like, you know, try to do things where it's I'm not just seeing it on Instagram. I'm, I'm not just trying to copy what someone else is doing. It's I'm trying to think of, OK, I want to be a better runner. I want to be in better shape. I, I want to work out, you know, two times a week. Um, but you know, don't like the first thing you shouldn't do is go join a CrossFit and do seven times a week, please. If you're listening to this, that's (laughs) not, that's probably not how you should start. (laughs) Um, but I just, it's, you know, I'm going to come back to all the same things we've already spoken about is taking this sort of joint by joint approach, taking this movement quality approach, making sure that you're consistently active throughout your day, you're moving throughout your day you have some sort of consistent training program. It doesn't even matter if it's just walking every day. It's a consistent training program that's progressive, that's specific, 
but also it involves the the principle of specificity. If you want to get better at running, you've got to run. If you want to be a better biker, you've got to bike. Like don't run to get better at biking. Um, if you want to be a better weightlifter, um, you know, go on a powerlifting program. I think, you know, Jared, and I, I, I hate being so general with all of this, but that's just the reality of strength and conditioning is it's so context specific and that recommendations do kind of um, a change for the person based on so many different variables as far as gender, training history, you know, all of these different things. Well, I think you've already inspired in me a desire to focus more on this functional movement screen to get some yoga into my weekly fitness routine, to focus on breathing, to assess my range of motion and then and improve it over time to see a personal trainer and i think you've you've given us so many areas that we can focus on that are just really excellent and so i want to wrap up with a question just to ask is there anything that i didn't ask you that you wish that i did or is there anything you just want to end on well i you know i think with 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 everything that I've experienced in my life and everything that I've learned about strength and conditioning and helping people and all these different things, I think like the fitness lifestyle is meant to be set up for life. It's 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 meant to be something that is enjoyable. It's fun. It's engaging. Um, and I, I I think people really really don't consider the empowerment that really comes from these different things. Um, who you can become when you have these different things, like your, your nutrition in line, you're, you're more active throughout your day. I think people have no idea of the person that they could become. Um, and I try to look at, I try to look at strength and conditioning and the weight room and all these different things. They're just life lessons, Jared. They're like when you go into the weight room and you've got to do something you don't want to do, and you're able to overcome that, that gives you just a particular confidence that I don't think there's many areas in life that you can walk into a place and get results based on the amount of work that you put into it. And I don't think that's true any other area in your life where it's like, oh, if I just read more, that makes me a better banker. It's like, no, <laughs> no, you can read all the books you want on banking. That doesn't automatically make you a better banker. But I think there's something unique about the weight room where you show up, you try, you uh, put a little bit more weight on the bar than last time. And I think like that's just it's such a unique area in life where it's you get the results you put into it. Um, and it's a breeding ground to whatever you want to become in life. Um, I think. There's so much potential when you walk into a fitness space like that um, that I wish people could understand. And I, uh, it's just it's a place that you can come, you can become whatever you want. It's a metamorphic response. Um, so, man, I, I mean, I could go on, but it's just like it's just one of those places where I wish people respected it more. I wish people understood how their life could look when these different things are a part of your day, how you feel on a daily basis, how happy you could be. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's, that's how I'd put that nail on that coffin. <laughs> I think you've inspired definitely me and I'm sure many folks out there listening to, to get up and move and, and to be more active. And so I'm grateful that you sat down with us today. You are 
somebody that is just always striving for more in your life. And I'm really grateful, Jacob, that you took the time to chat with us today. And for the listeners out there, if you want to learn more about Jacob, you can find him on Instagram at Coach Jacob Rivera or on Twitter at Coach underscore Jacob R. He has also been gracious enough to give you his email. If you'd like to connect with him, learn more and ask more questions. His email is jake, J-A-K-E, riv, R-I-V, seven at gmail.com. Jacob, my friend, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, Jared. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please stay tuned for more stories from successful entrepreneurs, artists, influencers, and sports and medical moguls. Please know that I've got your back and the world needs you to go out there and create, innovate, and iterate. If you like this episode, then please subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. You can also find Strive Accelerator on Instagram at Strive Accelerator and find show notes and all of our free content on our website at striveaccelerator.com. I always want to hear feedback from listeners, so please shoot me an email at jared at striveaccelerator.ca.